Welcome to my talk, the podcast series brought to you by ISS Market Intelligence. And thank you for tuning in. The focus uh, of our discussions on my talk um, is the global retail financial services marketplace and its many subsectors, asset management, wealth management, life insurance, banking, fintech, and so on. For more than three decades, the ISS Market Intelligence team and uh, its previous company uh, companies um, has been a passionate student of this business. Our specialty here is to explore the proverbial second day story and really peek under the industry headlines and try to understand the bigger meaning or discern the bigger meaning be, um, uh, of, of certain trends and developments in the industry. We do so with the help of industry experts and thought leaders. We do create um, new episodes monthly and sometimes uh, uh, even two episodes in a month. So if you enjoy this episode of my talk, please remember to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast platform. My name is Goshka Folda. I'm your host and uh, the global head of research at ISS Market Intelligence. So we're in January. Can you believe it is already 2024? And it is a leap year, no less. So we get one extra day to uh, to um, uh, prepare great uh, research and have more discussions about the business, which we, of course, uh, uh, love. Um, and let us leap into this year with a hot topic of the household wealth and the fund industry flows. Uh, lots of debate about cash on the sidelines and what's going on, where is the money going. Uh, very hot topic really around the world in the asset management business. In North America, it's particularly hot. We hear this from our U.S. clients and Canadian clients all the time. So it's quite exciting to talk about it. So today we're going to start this uh, thought process uh, with our Canadian data and uh, and kind of contemplate where the Canadian households are in terms of their financial standing and what is in store for the deposit and fund businesses this are our RSP season. For those of you joining us from outside of Canada, the first uh, 60 days of the year are uh, an important uh, a period for making investment and savings decisions because they coincide with the tax um, uh, tax deadlines and uh, special credits that we do get if we invest in our retirement plan. So that's why uh, we thought it would be a good idea to start with Canada. And uh, this is also where we have kind of a, a really broad base of, of really excellent data that we can um, uh, delve into. And to help me think through this topic um, is our own uh, data and methodology and forecasting guru. Um, uh, I am uh, delighted to be joined by Senior Research uh, Associate at ISS Market Intelligence, Will Stevenson. Um, Will is uh, a repeat guest on this podcast, so I have probably uh, already waxed poetic about his uh, uh, tremendous capabilities and expertise um, in uh, the previous podcast. But um, I did want to mention that um, a lot of the work that uh, that Will is going to talk about stems out of our household balance sheet report um, research. Um, and uh, as you might know, those of you um, who are familiar with that property, this was our first report when we started. 
the business in Canada in 1992. The first edition was published in 93. And of course, the most recent um, edition uh, was published exactly 30 years uh, later in 2023, towards the end of the year. So um, uh, uh, Will uh, was uh, or is the chief architect of this most uh, recent edition of the Household Balance Sheet Report. There's no mean feat for someone as young uh, as Will, um, because not only did uh, Will lead the forecasting process for um, kind of thinking about the business five to 10 years hence, um, along with Carlos Cardone, but uh, Will also took it upon himself to manage a team of researchers on three continents to create um, and deliver a compelling, wise, and thoughtful outlook for the future of Canada's household wealth in the decade ahead. Um, and you do know, or if you don't know, let me tell you this, having run a research team for now uh, a long while, hurting researchers uh, and uh, managing research teams, it's, it's like uh, hurting the proverbial cat. So, and hurting me, uh, no less, is, is quite a different story. And Will did it really great. Uh, well done, Will, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kafka. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. So let's dig into uh, where the Canadian households are um, right now. In the household balance sheet report, when you and I discussed kind of the main themes, one of the big ideas that you 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 um, spoke about is this kind of big squeeze, which is evident, uh, you know, the financial squeeze on the Canadian households is both evident in the short term, but also possibly um, might have some kind of lasting effect on Canadian household um, finances in the longer term. So now that we are into 2024, the the net savings of Canadian households appear to be, um, you know, those deployed into financial assets are trending towards zero. Um, this begs the question, where, where will the fund industry or the asset managers uh, find flows uh, into their products? Yeah, thanks, Kafka. So it just after a couple of years, so 2021 and 2022, where flows into financial assets were around 300 billion, 200 billion, um, you know, the headline savings rate from Statistics Canada, as well as from some other publications, uh, was jumping into double digits uh, early on in, uh, in 2020 and 2021. Um, and a lot of that money found its way on, onto asset management product shelves uh, in 2021 and 2022. Um, 2022 less so, especially near to the end of the year. Um, that's largely done. Um, as, as much as there is money on the sidelines and GICs and some of these money market mutual funds, ETFs, uh, that could find its way into uh, into market exposure. One of the sort of prevailing myths or, or, or consistent myths over the past couple of years is that there's a lot of money sitting in checking accounts, sitting in savings accounts, uh, from the retail investor just just waiting to, to find its way onto the shelf. Uh, that's largely not true. We have uh, a lot of data on those accounts uh, here at ISS, and, and the average balances for Canadians uh, are largely where they were in 2019. So those those kinds of products driving flows is, is certainly not going to happen. Um, and with the, uh, with the savings rate trending towards zero, um, new money, new savings isn't going to make its way on asset management shelves either. Uh, so where does that leave asset managers or, or fund sponsors in terms of driving flows? They're really going to have to pull it from somewhere else. Um, there are some good news about a hundred billion in GICs. So that's, uh, that's across both retail on the, uh, in, in the branches and banks, uh, 
you know, direct banks, those e-bank GICs, which popped a little bit in 2023, uh, as well as those on advisor shelves, about 100 billion combined uh, is set to expire in, in the first quarter of this year. Uh, so where does that leave asset managers? They're going to have to compete against that. Uh, the yields on those have come down below the, that magical 5% band that was driving a lot of, uh, a lot of consumers and, or savers into, uh, in, into those GAC products. Um, but when an asset manager is putting a product in front of a client, they're going to have to at least say they're going to do better than that. Uh, it's a little bit easier with the rates on those coming down and fixed income rates uh, remaining stubbornly high for, for some of those products, especially on the high yield side. Uh, but it's really about doing better than what a GIC can promise someone. Uh, all of that money is going to have to come come from those products. Yeah, well, that's such a great point. And actually, we're uh, looking at this same topic in the U.S. And I know I'll be circling back to you for your uh, inputs on that. But, but um, you know, that, that magic number that you and I talked about, you know, going way back into the 90s, you know, the 7% as, as you close in on a, any term deposit with 7%, it's, I don't want to say it's game over, but it is a tough slog. And I think what you're saying is that asset managers product developers have to really make the case for those maturing assets to really come on board is not kind of a you know an easy easy winning um a situation like we saw um when those uh, when there was explosion in in savings as you pointed out in the 300 billion dollar range so now is do you think that um there is also some uh, some differentiation between the demographic cohorts of investors and clients that will have impact on kind of you know uh, where the flows can be found and can they be found? Yeah, for sure. So, so of that hundred billion that's that's set to rebook, um, I'll, I'll put another number in front. That three hundred billion, which is kind of net change in GICs over the course of the past couple of years, that three hundred billion has been added to GICs. So, so who's added that is is, is the main question. Uh, if it's baby boomers, you know, fifty five to seventy five, that age category is is the prime user of GICs, always has been and, and still is. Um, and a lot of that money, uh, a little over a third of that money, based on what we're saying, was was done by that cohort as well. So so the re recent retiree or soon-to-be retiree added a lot of that money. Um, now, that was, that was good news for those client segments because they were saving so much throughout the pandemic. Um, but those clients are also much less likely to abandon a GIC. Many of them are using them for monthly income. They could be pulled by a monthly income fund if uh, if that promises some price appreciation along with a significant yield. Um, but a lot of them are looking at safety. There are some, especially some of the recent retirees, are looking at inflation uh, eating into their earnings, and that's where the price appreciation can be a benefit for them. Um, but those those are recent retirees who saw their money go up, thought this is my time uh, to retire. They don't want to necessarily go back to work, but they are seeing inflation eating into some of their earning power. Uh, so they're so they're concerned about the safety of this retirement plan and will tend to go towards safety uh, over and above. Uh, another third is what I would call kind of the still in accumulation, but soon to be done Generation X. Um, they, they picked up likely over a third as well um, of that 300 billion. Uh, and that's that was that was largely advisor driven. You saw a lot of that on advisor shelves saying, you know, this is five and a half, six percent what it was at the time for a year. Um, this is, is a real return GIC, which was not the case for many, many years. 
you know, plug a bunch of your savings into this for the short term and revisit uh, in the near future. Now, a lot of that may find its way into accumulation products, but this generation uh, is also the most exposed to debt. Uh, so any sort of debt strain, debt consolidation, A, this generation isn't going to be putting new savings into the system because they're going to be uh, constrained by that. But also some of them may be looking at consolidating some of their debt uh, in the short term, as well as uh, you mentioned earlier in the long term. So that that kind of money finding its way long term onto asset management shelves is not as guaranteed as, say, some of the high net worth baby boomers who are looking for monthly income, not as exposed to debt, could easily recycle this into other products. Uh, at the bottom end, I would say millennials and Gen Z, some hopped into these products a little bit, I would say less than a quarter. Um, based, and this is based on basic age data that we get from, from some of our banks and uh, you know, some of our tax filer data that we get. Um, this, is, this was opportunistic. Uh, many of them, those are very, very short-term GICs on, uh, on digital banks in many cases. Uh, a lot of those digital banks had a lot of GICs from primarily this client segment. This is kind of the most eligible to move and the most eligible loop to move into kind of riskier accumulation products, uh, particularly Generation Z, uh, very low debts. Um, so maybe picked up some of these GICs for some of their first investing. Uh, the lucky ones did, the ones who didn't uh, just stick all their money into individual tech stocks like you saw in sort of 2021, 2022. Um, but many of them are going to be looking for accumulation and also looking for accumulation uh, product. Uh, in particular. So those who got the GICs, they're going to look for a stronger accumulation product for the long term. Those that were looking into, you know, riskier assets through the course of 2021-2022 uh, may not have done well over the past couple of years. So some of them looking for accumulation through advice, accumulation with a product, uh, that's, that's going to be a key client segment for advisors as well as for asset managers to target uh, in kind of the short term as well as the midterm. So it's uh, very important to segment your potential um, targets in terms of, you know, both for financial institutions, branches, and for advisors, and to understand the dynamics. And clearly, as you pointed out, each cohort has a has a different uh, set of parameters that they are looking at, and you know, from kind of the older ones, safety and protection. Uh, but I think that also it's a, it's a bit of a challenge for the younger generations, the Gen, Gen Z and millennials, because especially Gen Z, because some of those early experiences with accumulation or investment products maybe have not been ideal. And I know you talk about that quite a lot in the household balance sheet report. Yeah, so the first uh, the first dip into investing for for many investors is is very important and can in fact set the stage uh, for the rest of their investing life. There's really two influences that would uh, that would do uh, that really press on younger investors. The first is their first experiences. So if it's a down, it can be a down for a very long time. They can stay in safety. Uh, the, the other is their parents' experience. So in Canada, that pushes a lot of young people towards real estate, but only so much as they can afford it. Um, many of these younger investors are still priced out for the time being um, from the real estate market, but they are looking to accumulate to that point. Um, and this is going to be very important for advisors as well, given the recent launch of the first home savings account, which is not, uh, we do know it's not available for every advisor. It's not available on every dealer yet. It's still working its way through the system quite slowly. Uh, after being launched in April of last year, that's going to be key for advisor engagement of these younger clients. A lot of these younger clients are going to be looking to save and invest for the purpose of real estate primarily uh, over and above 
investing for, say, retirement because they have one goal first and, and, and the second goal uh, second. Um, you know, it, it, I, I can speak to even my parents' experience. One of my parents had a poor uh, um, first experience with real estate in sort of the 91 era. Uh, the other one didn't. And so um, one of them really pushed for real estate. Uh and the other one did not early on in their investing life. And uh, they eventually went with real estate and that has been the right decision, but you never know what the right decision in the past uh, will be the right decision in the future. Yes, such such great great points. And, you know, being arrived in, in Canada around 1990, 91, I guess I was a bit scarred <laughs> by the whole situation with real estate. So that did not, uh, there was not an option uh, that I considered really powerfully at, at the time because of the, the, the conditions of market conditions, as you pointed out for one of your parents. So uh, listen, let's wrap up with uh, your fund sales predictions for uh, the first quarter. Uh, you know, a little bit about what you think, what this means for asset class directionality. So we well know, uh, you know, uh, uh, fund sponsors, fund manufacturers can fight a lot of things, but very difficult to find uh, fight uh, the, the, the trend of asset class directionality in the marketplace. And, um, and any thoughts if there could be any surprising developments in the marketplace that would maybe uh, result in a slightly different outlook. Tell us what do you think. So for the short term, uh, and I'll just talk about 2023 for, for a second, which uh, 2023 uh, was a down year for investment funds in general, but it was really active mutual funds. A lot of that recycling into GICs, some of it recycling even into annuities. Um, but in in the end of it, it was recycling towards yield. Um, it was positive year for ETFs, however, um, a lot of it, again, in the yield ETFs. So that, uh, given given investors are chasing the high yields of, of 2023, we expect that to largely continue. So in terms of surprise events, one of them was, uh, one potential one was this morning, which didn't end up happening, which was the inflation release in Canada. Uh, I'll play towards investors' home biases here for a second uh, and say that, you know, a 3.4% print this morning, even though core was pretty moderate, uh, that gives the central bank a lot more leeway to leave interest rates higher. Uh, so that pushes more and more money towards some of these uh, th these higher yielding income products. So on the mutual fund side, with some of those GICs expiring, we expect it to be a similar uh, net mutual fund season as it was last year. So netting towards zero, a little bit above zero. Um, with that money coming primarily from GICs, with that money coming primarily from GICs and GICs from baby boomers who are recent retirees, a lot of them are going to be looking towards that monthly income. Um, and so those monthly income products uh, with distributions uh, that, that go out every month and even into, uh, into an investor's account, uh, we think are going to be, uh, going to be very, very well set, sold. Um, in addition, any kind of high yield product. Um, the soft landing kind of narrative is still very present. So when that is present, looking for spread in high yield products is, is going to be easy, easier to sell uh, than in kind of a hard landing scenario. Uh, however, some investors might be getting a little bit nervous with these rates staying as high as they are, that the landing may not be as soft as, uh, as they thought. Um, on the ETF side, one of the things uh, that I talked about earlier on the kind of millennials generations that earlier uh, investor experience. Um, ETFs in 2023 were really towards the, the fixed income. I expect a little bit more into kind of real accumulation equity side um, and particularly active equity side. 
Um, a lot of these younger investors, they love the word alternative. They love, uh, you know, private, uh, anything like that, whether or not they understand what those products mean. Um, but what those are is really active, you know, you know, private equity, private credit. That's active equity and active credits. It's within a particular structure, but that's active. Um, and a lot of those active ETFs have been launched over the past year. Uh, so for younger investors, if they're looking for picking uh, or tactical allocations, uh, because that's where they're coming from, is doing their own tactical allocations, uh, an active ETF, uh, even if it's pure equity, may, is, is looking to be a good sale in, in the first quarter. Uh, of this year, I will say just from the midterm on uh, on the interest rate side, when we did the household balance sheet, we didn't predict any interest rate cuts before 2025. In the first period, we kept it for higher for longer than what was being called. Um, looking to push towards that direction uh, in in 2025. However, that you know the 125 basis points of expected cuts that some some were predicting to start as early as Q1 of this year. If you look back in 2023. That's starting in kind of Q4, Q1 of 2025. That leaves a lot more time uh, for these kinds of yield products to, to be picked up uh, picked up by clients. It also starts to push into a lot more mortgage renewals, which pushes this net savings towards zero a lot longer, um, or even some debt consolidation in the midterm. It, 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 does, it does reduce the overall level of fund sales into the mid, mid and long term, the further this gets pushed ahead. Uh, however, for those that are not tech constrained that kind of the older and the very younger uh that's that's where we expect uh, a lot of those fund sales to, to to come from yeah and then a great uh, landing you've landed a good punch on our expectation of uh, interest rate cuts because i think we were a bit lone wolfish on that one everybody was predicting a much quicker uh dial down um uh, and and I think we were arguing that it's going to take some good time. Uh, and I think that's exactly where we're going to land. Well, I think a good call on that. And uh, I would say it's all you. Uh, um, you know, I'll claim the fame, but uh, it's, it's all thanks to you and, and the thoughtful modeling that you do. Um, this is great stuff. Well, thank you very much. You have given us um, a lot to think about. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, na navigating these financially tougher conditions. It's a challenge for Canadian households, but also really it translates into some challenges, but possibly also opportunities for asset managers and for for the large and well-populated Canadian investment fund uh, business. Um, I think we'll 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 see uh, who will be able to translate those conditions. Uh, uh, into into um, uh, tailwinds uh, for their business uh, and who will be challenged. Uh, your point about active ETFs and yield, you know, this is and and alternatives also uh, focusing a lot on private credit and yield uh, products. Clearly, I think you are spot on with that and the active ETFs, which has published a big report in the U.S. And, and really the flows have been uh, accelerating. Again, we were early on in predicting that that would happen. It took a few years, but I think we're getting there. So thank you very, very much, uh, Will. This was uh, great stuff. Um, and that is a wrap for us in January. Um, 
I encourage our listeners to come back to join us in the coming months as we have a number of quite uh, exciting episodes on the on the burner or uh, on the stove, if you will. Um, we have a very special guest, um, a major leader of a distribution organization in the um, uh, at, a, at an asset manager in the U.S. and a guest host, our own Ashley Wood from our U.S. Um, uh, team. Um, and uh, we will really delve deeper into what it takes to succeed in today's sales game you know, building on, on Will's points um, about that kind of a standoff, if you will, uh, between deposits, term deposits and and the uh, accumulation or wealth and investment strategies. And we'll figure it out uh, how that is playing out in the world's largest asset management market, which is the U.S. As always, I encourage everyone to ping us uh, with your ideas about specific topics that you might want um, for us to tackle in uh, the future. Um, and on behalf of ISS Market Intelligence, let me um, um, thank you for listening uh, uh, to this episode. And of course, I would like to um, uh, wish you a wonderful 2024. Um, and let's leap into the future. With that, I'm signing off. Thank you.